me. So, no, you don't. You got the Holy Spirit, right? And um, I want to share today about trust God, trusting God. You got this coin. Anybody got any money on them? Grab something. Get something. You got a, a penny, a nickel, a dime, a quarter, a dollar, five, ten, twenty, a hundred dollars. Can I see that? Woo! Hundred dollars. Let me see that one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Looks good. So on our money, and it doesn't matter what you got, from the penny to the $100 bill, it says on there, in God we trust. In God, I'm not going to play any games with you. I'm not going to take your money here. You can, you can have it. Oh, yeah, make change. Here, everything, if you got something, a penny, a dime, anything at all, it says, in God we trust. I just want to give you a quick little history lesson before we get into the message here today about trusting God. Um, back in, oh, the 1800s, we were going through a, a crisis in our world, in our country, the Civil War. And during that time, uh, there was a lot of things going on, and this is when this idea came about, um, in God we trust. And the coins, there was a secretary of the treasury, his name was Sam and Chase, and he received a lot of different appeals from people during that time, urging the United States to recognize uh, God's presence in our country, in our nation. And, and so, of course, we had, we had coins back in the day. And so the first letter that he received was from a reverend, Reverend M.R. Watkinson, and he was the minister of the gospel from Ridleyville, Pennsylvania. And he wrote him a letter, and I want to read it to you, okay? Dear sir, you are about to submit your annual report to the Congress respecting the affairs of the national finances. One fact touching our currency has hitherto been seriously overlooked. I mean the recognition of the Almighty God in some form on our coins. I'll just interject here. If you've looked at other nations and throughout history, when you look at coins of countries, it's always what is most valuable to them or what they worship, what they worship. And uh, if you just think of the Roman Empire, what did they worship in the Roman Empire? Caesar. And whoever became Caesar, guess what it was time for? A new coin. I'm the new guy, right? And they would put the face of the Caesar on that coin. And so this is pretty important because it does show what's important to the nation, that what you put on your coin. So he goes on to say this. You are probably a Christian. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, that's the good old days, right? What if our republic were not shattered beyond reconstruction? Would not the antiquaries of succeeding centuries rightly reason from our past that we were a heathen nation? What I propose is that instead of the goddess of liberty, we shall have next inside the 13 stars a ring inscribed with the words perpetual union. Within the ring, the all-seen all eye crowned with a halo and beneath this eye, the American flag bearing in its field stars equal to the number of the states united. In the folds of the bars, the words God, liberty, law. This would make a beautiful coin to which no possible citizen could object. Back in the 1860s at least, right? This would relieve us from the ignominy of heathenism. 
This would place us openly under the divine protection we have personally claimed. You see what he's saying? This is important. This openly shows that our trust is in the Almighty, not just ourselves. From my hearth, I have felt our national shame in disowning God is not the least of our present national disasters. So this was dated November 13th, 1861. One week later, uh, the Secretary of the Treasury wrote a letter to the director of the Mint, or the, you know, who makes the coins in Philadelphia. One week later, so this letter really impacted him. He said, Dear Sir, no nation can be strong except in the strength of God. Isn't that cool? Or safe except in his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. You will cause a device to be prepared without unnecessary delay with a motto expressing in the fewest and tersest words possible this national recognition. So they go through a process. And uh, back in 1837, there was an act of Congress that said no, uh, the Congress had control of what went on our currency. So it was an act of Congress and how the currencies, you know, were reflected. All right, that was back in 1837. So they had to involve Congress in this situation. So after a little bit of back and forth, uh, the Secretary Chase uh, wrote this letter back to the guy who was in charge of the Mint, and he said, I approve your models, only suggesting that on that with the Washington uh, obverse, the model should begin with the word our, so as to read our God and our country, and on that with the shield, it should be changed so as to read in God we trust, okay, because it was about God, our trust was the original idea. God, comma, our trust. He says, let's change it to in God we trust. So Congress passed uh, the act of April 22nd, 1864, and they changed it and put in God we trust on, on the one-cent coin and the two-cent coin. From there, its use began to grow. Uh, by 1909, um, since 1909, the one-cent coin has had in God we trust on it ever since 1909. Uh, it's appeared on other coins and throughout history, and there was short, brief interruptions, but now all of our currency has in God we trust, and a law was passed by the 84th Congress in July 30th of 1956 by President, uh, was it Eisenhower? And declaring in God we trust to be the national motto of the United States. That is our model. It's not just a phrase on our money. It is our national model. In God we trust. Do you trust in God? Um, there's an interesting story about, you know, the Pledge of, a Pledge of Allegiance, too, about under God. That also happened because of a letter from a pastor. I think I need to start writing some letters. What do you guys think? <laughs> this is cool. Change happens because somebody see something that needs to be done, and they just step out and start to do it. You know, we're always waiting for big movements, but it's got to start with somebody. Maybe you could be the catalyst for some change too. But these things happened and came about because somebody did something. I'm just kind of excited about that. But what does it mean to trust in God? I mean, our country, I think this is really important. I'm not going to, I'm not going to stay political here very long. I'm just saying. I think it's very important 
when a nation says this is who we are and this is what we're going to stand for, this is who we worship. We recognize God's sovereignty. We recognize the almighty God is the only way that we can be successful, protected, strengthened and, you know, in, in, our, in our world. And we pledge, we, we say that it is in him that we put our trust. That's pretty awesome. That's law. That's who we are. That's who we are. And when those kind of statements are made at the highest level of leadership, they have a lot of trickle effects, spiritually speaking, too. When you as a family member, as a husband or a wife, and you have children, and you make decisions for your household, those things are powerful. They're binding. And you can, you can bring, uh, make decisions that bring life or bring death to your family. If you've made some bad decisions, you need to change those. You need to break those and redo them, right? Because it's huge. It passes on down legacies of life or death. You with me? Our nation, our nation is blessed because it has been founded upon trust in God. And it has been declared such. So I just want to say, uh, by law, we are a God-fearing nation. That is who we are. I'm not arguing with any past presidents. or uh, you know, I'm just saying, this is who we are. And we need to be who we are for the blessing of God to continue to flow in our lives. Anyway, I'll get off that. That's not my message, all right? That's just a side stuff. But, uh, but trusting in God, what does it mean to trust in God? And what does it mean even for a nation to say we trust in God? Uh, and, and so when we think about trust, I think of this, this idea that trust is the main foundational cornerstone of a relationship. Trust is about relationship. It is the most important word that we have that binds our marriages together, that keeps us together. It's trust. It's the most important thing that you have in friendships. It's trust. If you don't have trust, but you have humor, or you have good looks, or, or you have money, doesn't matter. There's no relationship there without trust, right? There's no real friendship. There's no real intimacy, connection without trust. And with God, it's all about relationship. So uh, my, my challenge to you has been in the last several weeks to trust in God, to have this relationship with Jesus. And, and I want to just do this. Let's just point, point to him. That's all I want to do. I just want to point to Jesus, and when we interact with people throughout our life, all we want to do is just keep pointing to Jesus. Point people to Jesus. We all have ideas and opinions, and you know our world has is, is got all kinds of different uh, opinions about things, but if we get good at pointing people to Jesus, I'll tell you what, you're going to have a really fruitful life. Point people to Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And uh, Caleb, would you mind grabbing that whiteboard for me and pulling that out. When we were singing the second song, I think it was, your name is a, uh, your name, huh, is a light that the shadows can't deny. It's, but like, how does it start? What is the name of the, the song? Tremble? Oh, not that, nope, not that song. The song before that one. What a beautiful name. Yes, we were talking about that. Thanks, Caleb. I just want to share with you uh, a sermon before I get to the sermon. Is that all right? Okay. Well, I'm just going with what God put on my heart. But the, and I've, I've mentioned this before, and then there's been a group of us who've studied this before, 
And I just want to, I'm going to keep it super simple, and there's hours and hours of information to what I'm going to show you. I'm just going to give you the, what God was saying to me. There's seven words in the, in the first sentence in the Bible in Hebrew, okay? So there's, uh, let me just do these blanks, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And to not confuse you, we're going we're gonna to think of it like this in English. In Hebrew, you actually think of it this way. But anyway, the middle word right here in, in this um, first sentence that I mentioned last week, and I know I'm writing kind of small, but it's called the Aleph Tav. And this is in Greek would be the Alpha and Omega, which Jesus says in Revelation, I am the Alpha and Omega. So Jesus is saying, this is me right here. The first sentence in the Bible, the middle word of the first sentence in the Bible, Jesus says, that's me. I'm the Alpha and Omega. There's a lot more implications to this I don't have time to go into right now. But this is Jesus. He's in the center of the first sentence in the Bible, which is talking about creation, talking about our purpose, talking about our creator, talking about everything about our existence, the purpose of our life. What's the purpose of your life? Jesus. Okay. What's, what's the uh, center of your perfection? Jesus. Who's the creator of everything? Jesus. He's at the center of it all. Okay. And there's seven words and seven in Hebrew that numbers recognize as a number of perfection and completion. That's why we have seven days. We have seven days. God created that number of significance from the very beginning, and nobody has changed it. Nobody lives off of an eight-day week or a six-day week. We all, since creation, have lived off of a seven-day week because God said it that way. He established it. He says, after the sixth day, it's all done. The seventh day, we rest. That's it. It's complete. It's perfect. At the center of your perfection and the center of your completion is Jesus. It's always him. So today, we're pointing to Jesus. We need a relationship with Jesus. It's all about knowing Jesus. He will finish what he started in you. He is the source of all creation, and he's the source of our redemption. And here's what I want to share with you, okay? This word, Jesus, Aleph Tav, appears right here as well, okay? Now, let's do the English. In the beginning, God created covers these three words, okay? In the beginning, God created. Then there's Jesus, the Aleph Tav, which isn't translated. If, it's, if you think it's translated, you might think the word would be and, Okay, but it's not and. <laughs> it's Jesus. Anyway, in the beginning, God created, or the. It could be the. The. But it's not, it's not translated. What, what did God create? The what? Heavens is right here. And the earth is right there. Again, it's not translated. In the beginning, God created heaven, earth. In the beginning, God created the Aleph Tav, Jesus. Aleph Tav heaven, and earth. You with me? So actually, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And when we were singing that song, and I'm just going crazy inside because I've studied this stuff, and that song is right. And it's, it's so much more than what we even realize how right it is that your name is a beautiful name, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and and, and it was Jesus, and he was, 
created everything, and through him all things were created, and, and uh, it just blows my mind. There is nothing greater than his name. He's the first one of creation, the firstborn of all creation. You guys tracking with me? And he's in you. He's with you. He's for you. There is nothing. Not, if, if he's with you and he's for you, who could be against you? He's the, he's the center of it all, the source of it all, the sustainer of it all, the redeemer of it all, the restorer of it all. He is reconciling all things to himself, back to God. Who can be against you? It's, it really is all about Jesus. Now, here's what I want to share with you, though, okay? And I hope that this comes across. If I had a bigger board, I'd be running more. But right here is heaven, and right here is earth. And then this thing repeats itself, except it's got one other letter that's added. And it's, and it's a, the letter that's added is a Hebrew letter called Vav. And the ancient picture of that Vav is a tent peg or a nail and it's translated in the pictography of Hebrew as connector. It connects a tent to the ground. It connects a nail, connects a board to a board or something like It's a connector. Now, here's what I want to share with you. This is just blows my mind away. I'm going back to that song. If you remember some of the words, which I don't, but I, I know what, what it was saying because I can remember from this. Here's Jesus. Here's God. In the beginning, created God. Okay, in that order, in Hebrew, it's a little messed up. Actually, English is messed up. Sorry, God. No, God's language is not messed up. All right, my brain's just backwards. All right, in the beginning, he created God, Jesus, heaven, Jesus again, and earth. Now, here's what happens. Here's God. Here's Jesus, the Aleph Tav who comes from God, from heaven, and he shows up again between heaven and earth. And what is his role? He comes from heaven down to earth, and he connects earth back to heaven. He is the connector. Do you see that? So you think of the story in the Bible where Jacob's ladder, and Jacob is sleeping, and he's laying on a rock, and he has this dream of the staircase to heaven. And here's earth, and there's heaven, and there's a staircase, and angels are coming down and going up, and there's activity happening from heaven down to earth. It's like, this must be the, the gateway of heaven, he says. This must be the doorway of heaven. I found it. And he made a memorial there out of stone and anointed it. And he said, this is where I met God. This must be God's house. Bethel, Bethel, that's what it's called, Bethel, the house of God. This must be the house of God. They named it Bethel, Bethel. That's why a lot of churches are called Bethel, the house of God. And Jesus comes along, and he's talking to, you know, a guy. What was the guy's name? I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, can't remember, one of the disciples. And he, and he says to him, hey, when you're under that fig tree, and you're reading about Jacob's ladder, he says, if you, if you think that was cool, you're going to see heaven. You're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And Jesus was putting himself in the position of what? The bridge to heaven. And later he said, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one gets to the Father or gets to the heaven except through me. I'm the bridge. I am the gate of heaven. I'm the gateway of heaven. This is so awesome. Do you see this? So Jesus comes from God. He comes out of heaven, down to earth, and he reconciles and restores us back to heaven. And it's only through him. He's the gate. He's the way. He's the bridge. He's the ladder. He's the life. No one can get to the Father. No one can get uh, to heaven except through him. Oh, man, this is awesome. And he's with you, and he's for you. And so we just need to keep pointing to Jesus, okay? And so this is about having a relationship with Jesus, Trusting in God is about actually knowing him and trusting in him. And this is what uh, Moses said in Exodus 33, verses 15 to 16. He said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth. God, if, it, if you don't go with us, we got nothing. Isn't it that you are with us that makes us different from everybody else on the planet? And as Christians, our, our, our goal here in this series is to embed upon our, our hearts that this is not a religion. This is about carrying the presence of God. And I'm here to tell you, if the presence of God is not alive in you, what makes you different than anybody else? Nothing. Nothing. Not your good ideas, not your good works, you know, not your, your good effort, not your good intentions. The world doesn't need that. The world needs the presence of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Get excited. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What, what distinguishes you? What your purpose in life is, is to take the presence of God with you. But to have that presence, you, you have to have a relationship. Again, I'm going to keep driving this home because this is what the times require. We do not need an intellectual argument to win people to faith in God. People need to touch the presence of God. They need to have miracles happen. They need to have people that believe in him and his word and, and pray with them and see miracles happen. Be touched by the presence of God. Have the joy of the Lord boil over upon them. You know, the peace of God invade and create peace where there's chaos in their lives. That comes from us, the people of God. The people of God with the presence of God. That's who we are. That's who we are. Moses said, if you don't go with us, forget it. I'm not even gonna go. There's, no, there's nothing that I have to offer to this world. I can't go without you, God. you got to go with us. And God wants to go with you. He, he came to be with you and to be in you. Wednesday morning, I woke up, and I've been very busy lately, as is normal, I guess. And uh, just a lot going on. And my first thought of the day, and usually God's been speaking to me a lot in, in the mornings, like as soon as I start to wake up, before I'm even out of bed, I mean, just starting to like, reach consciousness. And my first thought Wednesday morning was, what am I doing? <laughs> that was my thought. <laughs> what am I doing? And I, I think I was thinking at first, okay, what, what am I doing today? I got so much to do. What am I doing? But I, but I caught a moment of like deep introspective like reflection, like, no, what am I doing here? 
Why am I so busy? What am I doing? And, and in other words, what, what in the world is the point of my life? What am I doing? And God just spoke to me. And, uh, and, I, and it wasn't like he gave me a perfect sentence or something. It was just, you know, my heart, just like whatever, just kind of thinking. Through my thinking, God was speaking to me. And, and all of a sudden, he reminded me of the Israelites in the desert. And I just, I just heard, I heard this concept in my thoughts what am I doing? In all, and I had like a 10-minute conversation that lasted 10 seconds. You know what I'm saying? Like you have, it was only 10 seconds, but it seemed like it was like 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, I'm learning to trust in God. It was just so clear. Like, what am I doing? Oh, I'm learning to trust in God. And all of a sudden, it hit me. My whole life is about learning to trust in God. I'm not, I don't have to earn righteousness anymore, so I'm not trying to prove myself to God. I don't have to do certain things to get to heaven. I'm actually learning how to live this life and trust in God. And then the Israelites were walking through the desert for how many years? 40 years. And Moses said, uh, you guys, for 40 years, there was one thing God was trying to teach you. And he says, and it's this, right? That man does not live by bread alone or pizza, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. To trust in God. Every morning you wake up and you have to trust in God to get your manna. You can't stockpile it for tomorrow. One day at a time, we're gonna learn how to trust in God one day at a time. Moses said, that's what God's been trying to teach you. One lesson, trust me. One lesson. And I, thought, I just wonder, is that the same lesson he's still trying to teach us? Just, is there just one lesson, really? One lesson that God's trying to teach us? Trust me. Trust me. I think, I think that's what's going on here. I think God just wants us to learn how to trust him, to follow him, to lean on him, to abide in him. And, uh, and so that, that was my thought of the day, to trust in God. And I started thinking about that with Jesus, and it sure seems to line up with how he lived his life and what he challenged us to do. So we're learning to trust in God, and I was thinking about this too, and my life is um, actually, you know, going pretty fast. Is your life going pretty fast? So we got, we got this little bit of time to have this amazing adventure of learning how cool God is. Think, it, think about this with me, okay? When we get to heaven, and I... We won't be able to have to learn how to trust God. The Bible says we will see him face to face. Right now, it's a, like a, a dim, dim image in a mirror. But then we will see him as he truly is. We will be taught the Torah from Jesus himself. I, I think it will be an eternal process of, oh, oh, wow, ah, ah. But I don't think we're going to be like, man, God, where are you? You know, where are you today? Why aren't you talking to me? You know, are you real? Uh, how do I handle this problem? Why aren't you helping me? We won't have that anymore. Do you see what I'm saying? So I all of a sudden had this like epiphany or revelation or something like, oh, I get it. I only get this little bit of time to actually really have fun learning how to trust God because I could choose not to trust him. And yet I get to step out in faith and Learn how to trust him in this life. That's what it's all about. Learning to have a relationship with him. 
One day it'll be, it'll be easy because he'll be there and we'll, we'll have full revelation. But right now, this is the adventure that we get to enter into, trusting in God. Wow, what else can I believe God for? Oh, did he say this? Oh, all right, am I going to believe it? Oh, am I going to put it into practice? Wow, how many think that's an adventure, right? Oh, man, okay, let's do it. That's fun. Yeah, faith is fun. Doubt's out, right, as my dad always says. Doubt's out. Faith is a whole lot more fun. And so God's presence. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But what he's really saying is, whoever hangs out with me, whoever has a relationship with me, a trust relationship, whoever abides with me, you're not going to want anything else. You got, you're gonna, your soul is going to be satisfied. We are going to be on an adventure together. You're going to know you're in the real thing. You got the real thing. And he's like, there is no other pursuit when you hang out with me. When you're in my presence, your soul longs for nothing else. And that's what God wants you to have every day. Just his presence and your soul to be satisfied in that relationship. Can I get an amen? amen. He is what you crave. He is what you need. Uh, he is all that we have. And so who is this guy? And I want to jump back to what Moses said, that, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And who is the word? Jesus. He is the Aleph Tav. He is the, he's literally the alphabet. He's everything that the alphabet has created. He holds it all together. He is the word. The word has been made flesh. He came upon us, he came among us, he lived among us. We saw God, we touched God, God spoke, God ate, God, you know, built things, God hugged people, God kissed babies, God blessed people, God healed people, God, you know, walked among us for 30 some years and he was here and we saw him and people wrote about him and told us what he said and it was God among us. But now God wants his word to be made flesh again in you, in you. Now you are the body of Christ. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And now God's word wants to be birthed upon you. So now, again, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, by the word of God. Jesus in you is what propels us in life, okay? It's Jesus, the relationship with him. And Jesus put it this way. He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. In John 6, 29. The work of God, you want to know what do you need to do? Jesus, someone came to him and said, Jesus, what do I need to do to do the work of God? I want to make sure that I, I do the right thing with my life. What do I need to do? Could you just tell me? He said, believe. Trust. Follow me. Just have a relationship with me. Why? Because when we have a relationship with Jesus, the word, he writes his word upon our heart and everything else in our life feeds off of that relationship and it transforms the way we live and it, and it inspires our work, if you will. Okay? Do you hear what I'm saying? Everything comes from that. I was, I was thinking about that a little bit and I came upon this scripture in, in uh, Exodus 18 verse 20. And it says here, God is talking to Moses, and God says to Moses, teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them 
the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. This is what God told Moses to do to the people. Teach them my statutes, my word, and then show them the way to live and the work they are to do. So there is a way to live and there's a work to do. Did you know that? Isn't that cool? There's a purpose for your life. There is a way God wants you to live and there is a work God has assigned for you to do. However, however, I want to go back to what Moses said because there's a third W. There's a way, there's a work, but there's a third one, and it's with. There's a with. Moses says, if you do not go with us, forget about it. Now, here's the problem that I have experienced in my life. I have put the way and I have put the work above the with, and it doesn't work. Because the with is the presence of God. That is the main thing. And when we are with the presence of God, and we are in relationship with him, and we're daily learning how to have this connection with God's presence in our lives, then he, like I said, he transforms our way of living, and he inspires our work that he has given us to do. And when you are filled with God's presence, your, the, the way that you live is different, and how you do your work in life is inspired. It's fruitful. Jesus put it this way, I'm like the vine, you're the branches. Unless you abide in me, you're not going to be able to do much. In fact, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you stay connected to me, you will bear much fruit. It's all about relationship. And uh, I've always, you know, in the past, been about what, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? What are the rules, you know? And then and what am I supposed to do? How do I please God? What do I got to get busy with and all that? But what God is just continually reaffirming with me is the with, the relationship with him is the most important thing and that filters into the way and the work, okay? So with is the presence of God and the way and the work always flow from the with, from the presence of God. Have you ever found yourself, you know, working for God, but not working with God? You're trying to do things that you think God's put on your heart, but you're really the one trying to do it? And it's not spirit-led, and it's not spirit-filled, and it gets wearisome, burdensome, and sometimes if you fail, then you feel shame about it, like you let God down, like you're a failure, and you're not qualified anymore, and all that kind of garbage. And so the difference is having the relationship with God so strong that it already naturally, his spirit in us moves through the way that we are living. Have you ever tried to change a bad habit? You know, we had the Stephens talking about habits, hang-ups, and hurts, and you're like, oh, I've got to make this change. I gotta break this addiction. I gotta stop uh, being such a negative person. I, 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 I'm gonna start reading books. I'm gonna start making some promises to myself. You know, I gotta make these changes. How many, anybody try to do that before? Yeah, and it lasts for about what, four days? <laughs> or maybe three weeks, but then you stumble, and your willpower runs dry, and you're back to square one, and then you're beating yourself up, and then you're feeling bad and all that. But listen, God in us, his presence in us, as we 
are relating with him and being filled with him, he actually does those changes in us. We cooperate when he's speaking to us. He's like, oh, awesome. And we, and we have this love relationship with God, and he changes us. He transforms us from the inside out. I think about um, you know, the challenge uh, this morning. I was thinking about this. I got, I got one of my old passports here. And when we were traveling recently, you have to have this to go out of the country. And wow, I look a lot different back then. <laughs> Looks like my son. It's a long time ago. And when you give your passport to someone at, you know, at, at the uh, border, they scan it. And there's a security guard, usually in this booth. And they're like, you know, all official, like, come here. And they take your passport, they put it in a computer, and then they look at a screen. And you're just like, what are they looking at? You know? And they're looking at your history or if there's any flat red flags or if you're tagged or, I don't know, they're doing something to see, you know, to see if you're okay. And I, I just thought about this this morning, and I mentioned this verse last week, but Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. And I was thinking about that. God, if you could just give me your glasses, you know, Instead of me looking at people like someone would look at my passport trying to figure me out, instead of me looking at somebody and say, let me see, let me see who you are, and I'm going to look at you, and I'm going to kind of put you through some kind of a, you know, a, 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 a system in my own thinking, what would God see if you gave him your passport, your identity from heaven, your new nationality, right? You belong to heaven, Right? So let's say that you take your heaven identification and you turn that in and you scan it through the system. What's on the screen? What does God see when he sees your identity? Jesus. Does he see your failures? Well, I mean, your sin doesn't see your sin, right? He's forgotten it. He's erased it. He's cleansed you from it. This just blows me away. Paul is saying something incredible here. He's like, we're not going to look at each other anymore according to the flesh. And I don't know if you've ever had a parent, a coach, an uncle, an aunt, a grandma, a friend who looked at you like God looks at you. But if you, if you did, you were better for it. You were inspired because they saw something in you that you doubted in yourself, but you kind of thought and hoped it was there. And they said, no, that's, that's in there. I see it. You could do this. You got this. I believe in you. I know, this is who you are. You're going to do great things. And someone believed in you. They saw something in you through God's eyes, and it, and it almost like unlocked the courage that you needed to believe in yourself and begin to step out in that. You hear what I'm saying? What if... And, and, wow, I mean, let's try this. What if we begin to live that way too? Paul says, we no longer, we will not look at anyone anymore according to the flesh. We're going to look at them as how God sees them. And we're going to pull out from one another the God image every single one of us has. And if you want to live a real miserable life, do the opposite of that. If you want to live a miserable life, then put the way 
and the work above the width, get really, go for it, try to be a perfect person, and then look at everybody else and measure them according to your standards. And then inside you'll be judging, you'll be critical, you'll be slandering, you'll be gossiping, you'll be mad, you'll be disappointed, you'll always be negative, and you'll have a miserable life. And you'll do that to yourself too. But if you have a relationship with God, you start hanging out with God, you start learning who God is, what God does in us, when, we get, when I get closer to God, I start loving people better. I start, I'm not worried about their hang-ups. God's got that. I'm worried about, not worried, but you know, I'm focused on loving them and pulling out the God in them. When I'm not close to God and I'm, you know, and I'm drifting, just like we all do, then I start to get critical. I start to get judgmental about myself and other people. I start, you know, man, they got to start doing this. They should be doing that. Man, they're not good. With me? But Paul says, we're not even going to look at each other that way anymore. We're going to look at each other like God looks at us. And here's this, uh, a sign of maturity for Christian maturity. It's a person, it not, has nothing to do with your age. I've been a Christian for 30 years. Look how mature I am. Who that doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with whether you're mature or not. Maturity is, in Christian faith is all about how much of the identity of Christ have you assimilated into your own heart. It's all about who I am in Christ. It, and you can be young and get it. You'd be like, oh, God loves me. He's forgiven me. I'm his. I got nothing to worry about. I can trust in him. Wow. That's a sign of great maturity because when you believe that, you start to live differently too. You start to love people instead of being critical. You're not competing anymore with other people around you because you're insecure. You are, your security issue is already settled. Your love issue is already settled. Your belong issue is already settled. Your eternity issue is already settled. You're just on this adventure of trusting in God and you can be free with your life. You can be open-handed with your time. And your energy. You don't have to fight for yourself. You don't have to protect yourself because you're already protected. You already got it all. What I want to see in our church is just smiles on our faces because there's something going on inside. <laughs> it's like, oh, we, got the, we got the secret. We got the presence of God in us. Even in the midst of whatever's going on around us, there's just a, there's a secret little conversation going on that nobody else knows about. They're like, oh, God loves me. God's got this. I'm trusting in him. I have no worries. No, I got it. You know, he's going to take care of me. He's going to leave me. And there's just like a little smirk on our face all the time. Like, and people are like, what's going on? What's going on with those guys? And uh, I think about this, so just the opposite is true too. You know, I remember God saying this to Cain in Genesis. He said, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. God said this to Cain. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. For many years, I tried to do that. I tried to rule over my sin. But I got good news for you. Jesus has conquered it for us. You can't defeat sin. God says sin wants to control you. It wants to own you. It's crouching. It's looking to grab a hold of you. If you do wrong, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get you if you open your life to it. But Jesus came to conquer sin, to take it away, to pay for it, to set us free. So it is in relationship with him, we have victory over sin. It's not in better effort or working harder. 
It's entrusting God, trusting in him, and he will lead us into that victory. Can I get an amen? So let's just seek Jesus. Let's be with him. Uh, I'll just say one final thought here. I was, Lance is in the sound booth. Thanks for serving Lance back there. And uh, we were at his place, what was it, last weekend, last Sunday night, and he's showing me my dream, showing me his woods that he, he has. he got some new woods. We're walking in the woods, and, you know, he's giving us a tour, and he's, like, pointing to this. He says, oh, that's uh, da-da-da-da. I don't even know what he said. I can't even remember. It's like some special herb or something. I don't know. Heal something. And, oh, this is uh, this kind of a tree, and, oh, here's some animal trails, and over here is this, that, and this, 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 this and that, give them all this tour, you know. And I, I often think about if we just would hang out, I don't know what you call someone like Lance, a master woodsman or a survival uh, leader or a professional guide or maybe he's not those things, but, you know, if you went, I would love that, to go into the woods with someone who knew everything about all of that stuff. And I'd be like, oh, this is so cool. Um, because when I walk in there, I just see trees and leaves. I don't know anything. I don't know the kinds of trees. I don't know. I don't see. And then someone points it out to you, you're like, oh, that's what that is? Cool. Oh, you mean that? Oh, yeah, I can see that now. And all of a sudden, your eyes start opening to all the stuff around you. You with me? Now, listen, the more you hang out with God, that's what God does in this life. If you hang out with him, if you're walking with him, if you have this relationship with him, he begins to do the same exact thing for our life. Oh, and it's all around us. And we're just, you know, sometimes we don't distinguish or see or know what's happening. But as we walk close to him, we're walking with him. He is our light. He's our guide. He begins to point those things out to us in that relationship. At just the right time, everything that we need is found in him. Isn't that awesome? So you, you don't have to be a super religious person. You just have to hang out with Jesus, okay? He will lead you. He will guide you. And uh, just remember, uh, this is the quickest way to get to know him, though. This isn't a religious duty. This is how you, how you discover life. He is the word. He's this made flesh. He shows you how this can be made flesh in you, too, so that you can be alive and full. So let's have a week where we're smiling. All right? Because something on the inside is going on, and we just have that love and that relationship with him. Let's stand before we, uh, before we close, okay? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. God, we just thank you for today, and we ask, God, that you will continue to reveal yourself to us. We need you. We're like Moses. I don't know if we really know like what Moses was saying, but God, we're going to say it anyway. God, without you, we got nothing. We need your presence. We need your presence. Lord, as we seek to grow and know, we just pray that we'll always be filled with your presence. Let your presence dominate our priorities this week and our focus this week. And uh, Lord, just continue to speak to us and lead us and guide us. Let us, out of that overflow of your presence, be, just be a blessing to this world this week of, of just loving people and seeing people the way that you see us. And give us a heart for those around us. And show us the needs around us, Lord, that you are trying to meet through your body this week. And Lord, all the while, we know that you are also meeting our needs as we surrender to you each and every day. 
Lord, let us be alive in you and full of you. Let there be joy in our hearts and peace upon our minds and health in our bodies and revelation, Lord, revelation in our lives. Let us see what you see. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, today we just commit ourselves to you. We just dedicate this meat to you. Thank you, Lord. Just fill it, fill it, Lord, with your presence. We thank you that you're going before us even now. Help us to have that uh, attention on you uh, so that in those moments of our day that we're aware of you and we're alive in you and we're trusting in you. Lord, we don't trust in money, but we're thankful that our country uh, declares that we trust in you. And so, Lord, we personally, we decide, yes, we trust in you too. And we pray that our country, Lord, will be blessed We pray our country will truly trust in you and know you and return to you and find your favor again. We just ask your blessing on our country today and your blessing on our week, your blessing on our president and all of our government officials from the highest uh, all the way down to our local communities and uh, school boards and uh, city and township boards. Bless these men and women. Let them have your thoughts, your ideas. Let them be inspired by you. Let them choose to align uh, decisions with your will. And let heaven come. Let heaven's will be done on the earth as it is in your presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to bless you, and then uh, these guys are going to do a song, and you can stay for the song, or if you got to go, you can go, okay? All right, now may the Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make his face to shine upon you and, and be gracious to you, and the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace in his name. Amen, amen. You are the Lord's, and his name is on you. His peace.